Listener Production. Christian Hull's comedy would make anyone laugh, but he reckons his main demographic is 30-something mums drinking too much coffee while waiting for their kids to go to bed. Perhaps that's why I am such a fan. Christian is a comedian, writer, podcaster and content creator. He began his career in radio. Christian is best known for his personal off-the-cuff videos, which have won legions of fans across Facebook, TikTok, Instagram and YouTube. Okay, so we're back at it again, guessing paint colours. Hello, I'm cooking and lifestyle expert Trish. I bought this thing online. It's like a T-shirt folder device. Look how neatly it's folded! Up next is The Weekend List, where Tate McGregor joins me to recommend what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to. But first, here is a super fun chat with Christian Hull, a guy who once wanted to be Kyle Sanderlands when he grew up and now makes flower pendants for a living. Christian Hull, welcome to The Weekend Briefing. I have just discovered that you grew up as the eldest of four boys and the others are triplets. And now I need to know whether or not you live up to the kind of eldest child tropes. (laughs) Like were you the domineering, authoritative, sensible type? No, not when you have three brothers who are all born and brought into the household at the same time. I was five when mum brought them home and I didn't understand... What was happening? Yeah. They're like my older brothers. They're taller, slimmer, wiser and wealthier. And so I've learned a lot of lessons from them. I'm like the, I'm like the runt of the litter. Yeah, right. So were you, were you one of those kids who always wanted siblings or were you more send them back territory? <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I was definitely send them back because I thought it was like a – mum brought home three. It was like a try before you buy – Deal, and then we pick the one we like, and the other two go back to the yeah. hospital. And that went on for quite a few years until I realised I was like, oh, I think we're keeping all of them. But th- they are my best friends. You know, I don't like people. I'm just, not, I just like leave me alone is my yeah. big brand, and I've got a shop that's called, you know, I'll tell you where to go. It's f off. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but you like I'm those just, ones? You like the ones that are related to you? Yes. Yeah. So it was it's an it was an amazing childhood. It's still uh it's still really good. They're all in Sydney. Uh, I'm in Brisbane. So I haven't been able to see them and mum and dad for so long. It's just the longest time I haven't seen family and it's had a pretty big impact. I didn't think it would. But I do I miss them all. They're fu- they're so fun and they're f- so funny. I get my humor from them. Do you like being up in on stage in front of a crowd? Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I hated it. I had to be forced. Like most things in my life, I have to be forced and pushed to do something. And then I loved it. It was, it's terrifying. It's a genuinely terrifying experience um, to be on stage alone. Because uh, in front of a camera in my house, it's great. Super mm. comfortable. If I hate something, I can just delete it. Whereas when you're on stage and no one's laughing, you're like, oh God. It's happened a few times. So I'm like, oh, geez, that joke has just bombed. It's like driving a car. Once you keep going and you learn the mistakes and you learn how to handle them, it's a lot of fun. So now if I do something that falls flat, I actually get a lot of enjoyment out of it because suddenly I'm forced to improvise or to try and get the audience back and it's a lot of fun. I, I feel like that the stakes are terrifying. Like I am not a funny person, but the idea of 
selling tickets where people come not to see a fancy show with magical lights and dancing or singing (laughs) or other fancy stuff. It's just me and I'm here and I'm going to be funny. That kind of pressure, like that makes me feel a bit ill. I think, yeah, it's that sounds like such a traditional stand-up comedy thing to do. You go in blind, no one knows who you are, you start small and you work your way in, in these venues. I don't really see myself... It's sort of different when you're on socials. Like I've built my audience. They know who I am. I sell tickets to them. They come to my shows. I don't have that pressure of walking out there. They know what they're going to get. Yeah, they're fans already. They're buying tickets if they think I'm funny. So I've got them in. So I've got it a lot easier. So that pressure's sort of gone. I could never do an open mic. Like that for me crippled. I would be crippled. Um, And so I just, you know, just sell tickets to people that already think I'm hilarious, don't know why they do, and it's it's an easy show. Well, I think I know why. Let's go back in time, though, before we get to, to you as a social media phenomenon. Tell me about when you decided radio was what you wanted to do. <laughs> um, so I had an unfortunate phase through puberty where I just grew into a football and I'd always wanted to entertain. I'd always made uh, home movies. We'd done like CSI with my brothers, you know, fake <laughs> things, which I wish we still had because they would be so funny. You know, tomato sauce on Tim who played the victim. Oh, and, amazing. Um, so I always knew I wanted to entertain in some way and I knew I was very gay and so it's probably not going to happen. And then someone said, well, why don't you do radio? I was like, oh, that's a good idea. They don't have to see me. But I'm like, oh, I do sound like this. I don't know if that's going to be a hindrance. And so I just ended up um, doing some volunteer work at Triple J and then I found a community radio station and and spent years doing their courses and they gave me a show to host and ultimately ended up going to a very fancy radio school, Aftus, and basically got in the commercial radio door, which is can be quite hard to get, very competitive. Snuck my way in and just worked my way up from almost like a janitor level position and doing that. And I'd always loved the Hot 30 Countdown. I'd always loved Kyle and Jackie O and Ugly Phil. And so I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. I want to be Kyle Sanderlands. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. What about Kyle Sanderlands did you want to be? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, it's so controversial to like Kyle. Um, I think I really wanted to have Jackie's morals because I find Jackie quite... She's got good morals, but she lets Kyle go off on his little things, which can be a bit risky. But Kyle sort of, they work so harmoniously. I think I wanted to be the two of them together. Yeah. Kyle, I just found his crass humour. He does cross the line a lot, but I found like dick jokes and stuff. Like, that's so me. And he also sounded very camp. He's a very camp Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I am very camp. And so... It sounded like they had fun. They interviewed big guests. They did these, you know, great promotions. And I was like, I just want to be a part of that world. I want to do breakfast radio and I'm sure the pay is amazing and you get all the free stuff. And um, I, I did end up working in breakfast radio. Um, I got my first producing. I just sort of – radio is a tough industry. So I went I, – I did so many different positions. I was a assistant music director – um, I was a digital producer. I was a like a phone bitch, and so the, being a, on the hold phones, on, explain that for people who aren't who aren't media people. What's the phone bitch do? So you'll have your on air talent um, who claim they do everything, and then you'll have like a team of six billion producers behind the scenes, and so you'll have an EP who's like literally running the ship. 
then they'll have a senior producer that really helps them. And then you usually have a junior producer, um, which is usually the person that will answer the phones when you do phonotopics, you know, 13, 10, 60, what's your favourite cheese? And so, you know, my job was just to answer phones and put calls through, which was horrific. I wanted to be the talent, not produce the talent, essentially. And that's what I was doing in Adelaide. It's my first role in a breakfast show and I just realised like the curtain had been pulled and I was like, oh my God, this is the most unmagical, curated, not fun, there's there's no money, <laughs> there's no freebies, it's a lot of work. The, the, the dream was sort of shat on and I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was ready to leave radio but then this was just before Facebook and Instagram were a massive thing. Right. So they were there but businesses weren't using them. And for some reason, the people in charge of social media were made redundant within the company. And so suddenly, it still needed, the work still needed to be done. And I was like, oh, here we go. I'll go over here. And I started videoing and editing videos of the breakfast show and creating. And so I was like, oh, I'm creating again. Like I am, I'm able to make, it's not art, it's just videos, but it's like, it's not just answering phones. Yeah. Hello, what's your favourite cheese? Yep, putting you through. You know, suddenly I was in charge of a narrative of some content and I just took like, what is this, a duck to water. Like I was really good at it and then I started to get noticed um, and then next minute I was promoted and I was working at Fox FM in Melbourne, which was, you know, two-day FM in Sydney was the big one um, and Fox FM was like pretty much also up there. Yeah. And so... I got a job with Dan and Maz, who had just taken over from Hamish and Andy. Um, so it was literally the biggest role you could get. Um, and I was filming all of their videos and making all their content. And so, you know, the first day they were like, oh, um, Ed Sheeran's getting into a limo. You need to set it up with GoPros and film. I was like, oh, okay. And the next minute it's like, Ed, this is Christian. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so you're in a limo with Ed Sheeran and you're like, oh, next week Kim Kardashian's coming in. And then we had a performance from George Ezra. So it's just like... Go, 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 go. You didn't really have time to process. You had all these amazing names and just all of this incredible content that you were filming and doing. And so I was really sort of thrown into it and I loved it. I really loved it. Tell me about someone you met who surprised you, who sort of didn't live up to their public oh, persona. Oh, slash, one million percent. So Slash walks in, um, so Guns N' Roses, and he's the, got the big top hat, he's got big hair, he's very tall, quite attractive, and I'm in the corner with my camera. So he walks in to the radio studio, he greets, you know, Dan, Maz, MC, um, the producers, and he's really lovely, um, and he sits down, and just before he goes to talk, he notices me in the corner, he's like, oh, he gets up, and he's like, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there, shakes my hands, you know, I'm Slash, and I was like... Oh, my God, like, you're so nice. And then I found out later that he's notoriously known for being, just surprising people with how genuinely nice he is. One of the things about radio is that radio likes to typecast people. Like, Mm. it likes to take a fully formed human being and kind of put them in a little box uh, that will present well to the public. What would your little box have been? When I first got into radio, naturally the gay campy guy, um, entertainment reporter. So I was suddenly on the red carpets doing that. And I was like, oh. Uh. At the time, loved it. Had the best experience. But, uh, you know, and I was so for it and I was like, anything I can do to help or, you know, anything. 
And so I dressed up as a fairy. So I was a character <laughs> on the uh, Newcastle Breakfast Show and I loved it. But the, I, what I didn't realise at the time, and I was only, I think, 24, was I was typecasting myself into this sort of gay stereotype. Yeah. Um, which was going to be very difficult to get out of because that was sort of the only roles that were then presented or given to me. You know, I wanted to be on air. I wanted to host a breakfast show. Um, and the only sort of on-air things I was getting was this, you know, talk about the entertainment world. You know, what a celebrity gossip. I was just like, I don't I don't particularly want to do that. And uh, I, there were some honest conversations had with me, which I, I needed. It was like that reality slap. Like, no, 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 I'll, I'll get there. And, you know, one content director sitting me down and saying mm, you're going to struggle like, it's going to be hard for you and I was like oh you're probably right so I, I would take you know just a different path or slow down on certain things and you know ultimately the radio career sort of failed but what I didn't realize is that nine years in radio has taught me everything I needed to know for now for you know making videos and talking to an audience like all that nine years was not wasted it was so vital and without that experience of how do you talk to an audience you know commercial radio is get in get to the point and you know GTFO get out and that's the same with videos get to the point as quickly as possible rope them in make them laugh keep them watching for as long as you can and then finish and always leave them wanting more in your content and I learned that. So tell me about that transition how do you go from making content for other people to making content for yourself and I suppose what I'm asking is less about the mechanics of how you do that, mm. more about the psychological part of that because that's, that's a bit of a leap to go, yeah. no, I'm going to do this for me, not for who I'm paid to do it for. Yeah, it, it was a slow journey. There was a point where I was editing videos for the radio station and I'd been doing it for maybe three years and I was like, ah, oh, okay, I'm not fulfilling that performance need that I want to do. And I ended up working on a show that predominantly focused on YouTube. And I just saw exactly what it was like to be a YouTuber. I hadn't really been exposed to that world. I didn't know that YouTube was a, a thing, you know. It's like a tele, your own television station. And that my boss at the time said, you know, you should start your own YouTube channel. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, oh, nah. And I thought about it and I was like, oh, I'll give it a go. And I sort of slowly started making my own videos and working out who I was as a performer. You know, it maybe took two or three years before I really found the niche and, and what to do. And then I realised, I was like, oh, shit. I, I released a video where I play a character called Trish. She's a blonde. She's got a ratty blonde wig and she plays basically a mother with lots of children. It's basically my mother and father as a character. And so I got my experience from having a hectic family life and I just sort of made skits about it and it just exploded. Like it just happened so quickly. Paging Nurse Trish, you're wanted in Ward 39. Nurse Trish to Ward 39. F*** me, I just sat down for lunch. I had a, a video get to 20 million views in a couple of months. Wow. Um, and, and things really took off. And it it sort of took off in a weird time for me. 
So I was making all these videos and I was working. I, I just got a, a job that I thought I was really going to like. And there was two two paths. There was the radio career path that I'd sort of gone, right, this is me. I'm going to get to X, Y, Z. I'm going to earn all this money. I'm going to be the best digital producer, you know, this network's ever seen. And then I was like, oh, my stuff has just started taking off at the exact same time. And so I was doing this really intense role. It was a really full on breakfast show role. And I was, you know, some days I was doing 16 hours and then I would go home and I would do all of my own stuff. So I was trying to do these two things and my content was earning me no money. And then my radio stuff, that's where I was earning the money. And so I, I ultimately burnt myself out. Things just didn't go to plan in radio that, that I was hoping. And uh, I then ended up falling back and, and you know, walking away from, I, I basically quit. I said, you know what? I don't want to work in radio anymore. You've used me, you've abused me, you chewed me up and you spat me out. And I just said to them, see ya. And that was the first time they went, oh, hang on. You actually got good numbers. Um, you have a podcast that you're doing. Um, you've got all of this. There's a lot going for you. Just stay with the company and we'll look after you. And they did for a couple of years and they, they saw that something was happening with me. They were like, we just don't know what. Like, what's going on? And um, I stayed with them for a year or so and then I started to get sponsorship deals. And then my management said, you need to start doing live shows. So they forced me to do live shows and I sort of was like, mm, I don't really like it. And then I got the paycheck for it and I was like, ha. Oh, yeah, I do. It's good. I will do another one. And then I started to get the ball rolling on the sort of Christian Hull empire. And then I got to a point where I was like, you know, see you bitches. And, and I left radio and I'm sort of here doing, I can't even tell, I don't even know what it is. It's just making content and earning money from that. What I love about your content, particularly during the pandemic, is that there is a level of escapism because it takes you out of the darkness that is around a lot of us. But at the same time, it doesn't escape so far that it's unrealistic. It's not like watching Game of Thrones or something like that. You're very much in people's lives. Has COVID and the experience people are having changed the way you think about content or do you just push through and do the same thing? Look, it hasn't changed the way I think about it. I think it's definitely exposed me to a lot more people. And, like, this is – it's like I've been handed the microphone. Like, the whole world shut down, they're now online. And there was a period, I think, in 2020 early on when, you know, all of Australia went into a lockdown and I was like, oh, shit. Like, if there's now a time to just pedal to the metal and make as much content as I can, it's now. It's still like that. And so I've, I've been working a lot and – so many opportunities have come from just stuff that I, I didn't think. Um, I've started a, a merch store. I've started an online retail space. I know. That, Tell us about that. Oh, my God. It came out of nowhere. It's called The F*** Off Shop. For me, social distancing is the greatest gift COVID has given us. You're an introvert. And, uh, yeah, massively. It started as this thing where I made a little resin piece of jewellery. It was a pendant because I was obsessed with crystals and crystals apparently have healing powers. I don't think they do. And I was like, is there a crystal that radiates piss off? And there wasn't. And so I made this <laughs> resin pendant as a joke and then I launched it on a TikTok and I, I, I was making them to sell them. 
And overnight, I, I went from 30 orders to 500 to 1,500 <gasps> to 12,000 to end I ended How up How did you make this. all those oh, fake God, crystal things? Far out. It was 24-7 pouring resin, mixing, Whoa. making moulds. Um, and I made half a million dollars in six months just from selling these pendants. Holy Wow. I mean, that was very much a COVID-related thing yeah. because everyone was like, oh, we don't want people near us as well. And so then I was like, oh, there's a business here. And so I then made a little essential oil fragrance called Fakovsky. And so it was just like, you know, you roll it on. And then suddenly I was making, you know, 3,000 bottles of this and then I was sort of expanding and moving into, God, all these different things and selling all these different products. Soap in the shape of... Uh, the male appendage that you can use to wash your hands with. And suddenly I was selling all of this stuff and it was making, that was the bulk of my income. And so I, I, for the last, you know, 18 months, I've been really focused on growing that into a business. And I just launched uh, a hoodie that's got Leave Me Alone um, across the top and it's got a huge hood that you can pull all the way over (laughs) your face. And I thought to myself, look, if I can sell 500 Oh, that'll be so great. And I wanted to sell 500 in two weeks. And in the first three days, I've sold four and a half thousand. So that, and that's, it's been a great three days, but it's been a very stressful one because suddenly I've got PayPal telling me I'm money laundering. I've got Afterpay not releasing my money. Oh, like gosh. this huge success has happened and I wasn't ready for it. But I mean, that's just been the story of of the last few years, you know, I'll do something thinking, oh, this, this might do all right. And next minute I'm like, oh, oh, that's done very well. What's the end game for you? Oh, great question. I have no idea. To be wealthy enough to buy an island and just live off the coast of Queensland. <laughs> well, that, that's quite a good answer, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm someone that hasn't planned anything. It's just sort of occurred. I didn't plan to live to Brisbane. I just walked into an apartment randomly and went, oh, this is nice. This is a beautiful area. Then I moved here from Melbourne. I was given an opportunity to be in a movie. Um, with So Rachel Griffiths had um, in Ride Like a Girl. Yeah. Um, they were like, oh, do you want just to, just a quick role? I was like, um, can I audition please? Like, no, 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 you don't need to. And um, my acting was woeful and most of my scenes were cut, but you can see the back of my head for three <laughs> seconds. Who's your biggest cheerleader? Mum and Dad are very much. It's interesting watching them go from we have no idea what he does to them constantly being told. Like Mum and Dad feature a lot in my videos, so they get stopped. Um, they live in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales and they're, they're like local celebrities, which is so funny. And they'll stop and have like a 45-minute chat about everything that I'm doing and what's going on and Mum will text me ideas, products that I should be selling, video ideas, things she's seen. Dad's still like, what's going on? Like, what's happening? But, oh, good for you. Are you making a living? Great. As long as there's money coming in. As long in. as you're secure. Sounds like <laughs> my dad. As long as you don't have to mooch off your parents anymore. Yeah, I would say that they're the biggest cheerleaders. This is a bit of a naff question. I apologise in advance, but I think it's an important one for you because your life has changed quite a bit relatively quickly. Mm. So if you could go back five, ten years and chat to yourself, working in radio, burning out, having a rough time and tell them something about what life is going to be, what would you say? Just stick with it. Like it's all worth it in the end. Like there, there were moments where I was like, I'm going to quit radio and I'm going to have to go back to retail. 
I don't like the idea of regrets. I'm like, they're lessons. If you failed or you did something you didn't like, at least you've learnt a lesson from that. Like there are things that I would go, I would absolutely never, ever in a million years do that again. But then I go, oh, but God damn it, I learnt so much from that experience. Like I have to go through that in order to grow and do. So it would just be put the cake down, get out and exercise a bit more, you fatty, and, um, and stay with it. You'll be fine. Christian, it has been a pleasure chatting to you today. Thanks for being on The Weekend Briefing. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That's it for my conversation with Christian Hull. You can find him all over the interwebs. Just put his name into your favourite social media app. Don't go away. Up next is Tate McGregor with The Weekend List. Here comes Tate McGregor into the studio who has got all of the recommendations for your weekend. Hit us up, Tate. All right, picture this. You've got Steve Martin, Martin Short and Selena Gomez solving a murder mystery. It's called Only Murders in the Building and it's a Disney Plus TV series that sees these three strangers who live in a building together in New York City brought together by their love of murder mysteries and a murder takes place in their building. So the death is originally ruled a suicide, but they think that there's more to it. So they launch an investigative podcast and it's the story of these three unlikely friends that are on a hunt to crack this case. I can't stop thinking about this. Neither can I. We should do our own true crime podcast. We're going to go down there and look around for clues. You want to come? Do I want to break into a dead guy's apartment and go through all his shit? Sounds like an afternoon. So it's a lot of fun. And if you're a fan of murder podcasts with a Disney spin, then you'll love this one. It's only murders in the building on Disney+. Plus. It's a murder podcast with a Disney spin. That's the best thing I've ever heard. I absolutely cannot wait. I am going down a different path today, Tate. While in lockdown, I have abandoned, well, I've abandoned looking nice at all. I have stopped brushing my hair. I don't wear makeup. If I have a shower, everyone around me is really very lucky and should consider themselves treated. (laughs) But today, I want to recommend, as this world of ours starts to open up again once more, a primer by Hilary Holmes Beauty. I didn't know what a primer was for a very long time, but it's like a creamy thing that goes on, that's a technical term, goes on under your makeup to make it look all flawless like everyone else does. And this one, this one from Hilary Holmes is brand new. It's out now. And honestly, it makes you look like you've got an Instagram filter on your actual face. I'm so impressed with it. You can buy it online. Just search Hilary Holmes Primer. Look at me. I'm a beauty influencer. I'm staring at you right now, Jamila. It looks like you've got an Instagram filter on. It's beautiful. I'll have to give it a whirl. Okay, while we're on this like level of high energy, I've got some music to go along with this big vibe. It's a playlist on Spotify. I've recommended playlists in the past like Butter on there. This one's called Dopamine and it is just that. It is a big dopamine hit. So they call it as their description, play something that's very, very vibe worthy. And it's a good playlist for like Maybe you're cleaning the house on a Saturday morning. Maybe you're cooking dinner in good spirits. Or maybe you have like casual friends at a picnic sort of thing. It's an upbeat mood, but it's not so much that you're G'd up for like a workout or you're going to go hit the town or anything like that. The beauty of this playlist is that everyone's is different. So mine, for example, has Mac Miller, Remy Wolf, Group Love, a bit of Glass Animals, Still Woozy, and it's a really good time. So Jam, if you're looking for a personally curated dopamine hit... 
hit up the dopamine playlist on Spotify. And what do you have to not recommend for us? This is another different tact you're going down. Yes, that's right. Today I have a anti-recommendation. Is that what we're going to call it? I think that's what I am going to call it. I want to anti-recommend the Squid Game on Netflix. Now, if you're anything like me, the algorithm is pushing this one really, really hard. And I really got into the first episode. I sat down and was very much enjoying what I thought was going to be a suspenseful thriller, but one that was quite elegantly put together and had some really strong narrative storytelling. I don't want to give it away in case you do want to watch, but after about an hour, it takes a really dark turn and kind of goes very Black Mirror with a lot of gore. And it was just too much for me. It wasn't what I signed up for. It wasn't what I wanted. And right now in lockdown, I'm up for suspense and a little bit of grit, but I'm not up for total devastation, which is what I got. So if you're feeling a little bit delicate during lockdown, skip this one and go find some good reality TV. Copy that. All right, I'll put it at the bottom of my list then. Yeah, dump it. Dump it, guys. It's too much. It was just too much. I had to turn it off. I couldn't keep going. It's only for the very strong-hearted. Friends, that's all we've got time for on The Weekend Briefing today. If you want to make sure that you never miss an episode, then you should go and find the listener app and subscribe right now or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back next Monday, bright and early, with the latest headlines right to your headphones. Listener.